KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Modern Architect Radio Show and Podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate Architectural, this is Tom Dioro. Thank you, Shay. For my guest today, we want to welcome Iro Armani, architect and Stanford PhD student. Hero's work includes architectural projects in the private and public sector. Her research interests and focus is now on ways to automatically generate 3D building models based on computer vision. She's also one of the program directors of Sailors 2016, an outreach program at the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. Hello and welcome here. We're honored to have you here today. Um, hi, Tom. Well, I'm, I'm very delighted to be here. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting discussion. Certainly. When did you uh, begin working on 3D building models and machine learning? Well, I haven't always been working on that. So um, I am um, an architect in my background. So initially, my first... Uh, uh, my first studies were on form and materials and structure and all these things that we all are very familiar with. Um, however, um, as I was working as an architect, um, I found out there are a lot of inefficiencies and so in, in, in our workflows. And so that is how I began in working into these things. Oh, so so uh, speaking of the workflows, how, how, have you, uh, how are you working on helping make it much easier for architects and uh, uh, builders to... Uh, facilitate their workflow? Um, so I was, um, as I said, I was working as an architect in um, an, um, an island in Greece, which is my hometown, Corfu. And being there, um, I had to deal with a lot of uh, historical monuments because Corfu has an old historical town that ages back to the Venetian occupation that we had in the island. So the buildings there in the historical town are mostly like a small Venice, if you could say. Imagine that without the canals. Um, and so we, we, as an architect, you would have to deal with a lot of renovations or refurbishments of these old buildings. However, these buildings did not have any 2D, um, uh, you know, 2D plans sure. to have um, or any kind of 3D models, of course, in your hands. So in order to do any kind of renovation project, you will first have to go and measure your space, find its as-built status. And that would mean I would go with a tape and a measure and try to find out what's going on in the building. And then, you know, you would go back to the office, try to consolidate your measurements. It would go wrong. You would have to go back again. We all are very familiar with that process. And, and, and I thought that that is really inefficient. There should be a better way that architects wouldn't have, or any kind of um, engineer in the construction industry wouldn't have to care about these things, but could focus on the more creative process, on the design, on the construction, rather than that. And that is how I started looking into these things. I said, okay, what exists else out there? We have the laser scanners, which is great. You can get accurate, accurate and detailed representations of your built environment. Um, however, these point clouds are just 3D coordinates in, in space, in the virtual environment. They do not have any meaning. They're meaningless data. And in order, um, as, and as human beings, we are able to understand what are the objects that are represented by these points, but a machine 
that we would like to use it to automate the process of understanding these point clouds doesn't know what it sees, what it looks at. So we need to tell that machine to understand what it looks at, at, at these point clouds. And that is how I started. I wanted to automate this process of understanding the semantics in the point clouds in order to be able to, to um, replace that part of the workflow. Interesting. Uh, how was it? How is that workflow uh, in addition to changing that? How, how do you, what's the response been so far to uh, your research? Well, it has been uh, very encouraging, to tell you the truth. Uh, we all know that um, the um, construction industry is very reluctant into any kind of change, into any kind of technological input or advances. However, what I have found is that a lot of a lot of people have actually contacted me. Uh, we've had a, our, our work, our latest work, featured in Stanford News, and from that I got a lot of emails and messages from architects or construction people all around the world that were like, "We really want to try that. We find we think it's like really interesting. We would really like to." to use it in our workflows. So that tells me that although we know this kind of reluctancy exists in statistics, there are people that are, feel that they can do more. They see that there is a lot of potential and they are willing to try it. Wow. So when they try, do you, do you bring them on campus or do you actually uh, visit them, some of them, um, to show them you know, your progress? Um, until now, we haven't uh, been really uh, doing something with the uh, with uh, other companies or um, other practitioners out there. However, we are uh, planning on releasing a demo on our website, on the project website, where people will be able to upload their point cloud data and get back the results. And uh, that means that they would that means that they would get the elements within it and not everything that we have to offer that our algorithm has to offer. Uh, we have been doing tests on uh, different point cloud data that we collected, but that is as far as we've gone right now. Oh, so explain a bit about the point clouds, how they work and, and their importance. So um, point clouds are um, the geometric representation of uh, the scanned space, like an indoor environment, into the virtual world. And it's like this kind of mirroring. We mirror this real world into the virtual environment. What is called a reality capture. And, and we have these point clouds that, as I said, represent our worlds into great um, accuracy and into great detail, but they are just 3D coordinates. Um, and if we were able to understand the semantics into them, we can use this, point, this understanding of the point cloud data to get a comprehensive understanding of our built environments. And it could be even more than what a human could perceive. And we could use that information, for example, in the construction industry, in order to facilitate things like construction progress monitoring, um, fixing the schedule of our construction, um, quality control. Um, we could um, use it for facilities management and operation of the building. And most importantly, we can also use it for the safety of the construction workers or of the tenants. Um, we, I have to say that there is the statistics of uh, we have around... 12 fatal injuries per day in the U.S. of the construction workers. 12? 12, yes. Is that, and that is the U.S.? Correct. Okay. And these are fatal injuries. And, and so 
Um, I, although there have been a lot of efforts and this number kind of diminishes through the years, um, I think there is a still a lot we could do. And what the point cloud could help in this case is all this, as was I said, quality control. Or if you knew, for example, the accurate location of elements that could cause threat to the construction workers. Let's say you had this building and you wanted to do a renovation. Having some point clouds from previous temporal points where you would know that behind the surface there is a gas pipe or something else that could cause would cause danger if you were to interact with it or, you know, I don't know, bump into it or create a hole sure. in it. Um, and, and then, then that would kind of uh, minimize the risk. And that is the whole point, to minimize as much the risk as you can. Yeah, so, so you're mitigating risk. Um, is that uh, part of the inspiration for the, uh, for the project? Yeah, I guess I was in the beginning more of a frustrated engineer trying to <laughs> find better workflows. Uh, but as I went along and I started working more on this project, I found all these other things that I haven't imagined that, that uh, it could help. And for example, another application in terms of safety could be, I've been talking to people, they could t they told me that it could be used, for example, for disaster relief. Um, we have, let's say, a fire into a building and firefighters, firefighters want to have the fastest and safest route into the building or out of it that is customized for that specific space. And that is very important for the safety of them and the people they want to save within the building. Uh, we have other applications that could be, for example, in nuclear plants. Having an understanding of where all your elements are in a nuclear plant, it means that if a worker goes there and has to fix something, he will spend way less time than he would supposed to be. So he has less um, radiation effect. Wow, disaster relief even, wow. Um, uh, what, speaking of, of the, the disaster relief, it definitely seems as if uh, um, many cities, companies, and countries would be interested in this. Have you... Have you uh, uh, sought that interest, or are you still working on the project to not to, for lack of a better word, perfect it? Well, I <laughs> perfection is a very, a very, um, um, I don't think it's the right word to, to use, especially when we're talking about these things. Um, you can reach an algorithm that reaches like 100% accuracy, uh, but you know, in some other data, it might not work, you might have other issues. So, I Perfection is, is a word that is very hard to use in these cases. Um, however, we, 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 we are looking into it, and we would like, of course, to, to take it out to the world and to the industry and trying to do more with it, understand also what the industry has to say about it, and try to be more flexible and, 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 and also adapt our own algorithm to the needs of the market. Yeah. So the, the, I can see the reluctancy of the industry um, is... Uh, has been for the last, I'd say, quarter century uh, just to be accepted. But I find it interesting that you've had positive responses from uh, from those you've either outreached to or those who have actually uh, contacted you about your, about your progress. Yeah, and the funny thing is that um, when I might first introduce my concept to someone who is not that... Um, into technology sometimes they might be more reluctant into understanding but when they see the results that we have to bring up what exactly we are doing what is what is the potential of that method and of this understanding of point clouds um, you can immediately see that they, they are getting convinced they, they can see that yes actually this can help in so many things so the, the, the point clouds sound to me like they may actually have their own intelligence is that is that um, is that a correct assumption or not 
I would say that it's not. Okay. So point clouds, I would say they're dumb. They're, they're, they're meaningless. Um, they contain, though, a lot of information that is just waiting there to, to get harnessed. Um, it, it, but you have to discover this information in the point cloud. You have to build the correct algorithms that are going to go and discover this information in the point cloud for you. Okay. So, they, so it's up to you to, to find this. Correct, yes. So it will always need that, the human element to, to, do, to decipher this. Well, I mean, not really. Um, you have the human who designs the system, who designs the algorithm, but, and then um, you're like a teacher. You um, prepare the teaching material, which is the data you're going to feed to the algorithm. You also prepare the course strategy that you're going to follow, which means what kind of algorithm, what kind of learning system you will use. And then you give that and you prepare your algorithm and you give it this kind of real-world examples. Let's say in the case of the point cloud, you tell it this bunch of points over here belong to a table or to a chair or to a wall, to a beam, to a column, whatever you want. And then you tell it to try to detect these things and recognize them in the point cloud. And you try to give them a unique signature of these elements that will easily tell it here, this is the wall because the features I represent it with are actually very specific to being a wall. And then after you train your algorithm, it should be able to actually find these elements in the point cloud on its own in an automatic way. Oh, so is, is it, uh, it sounds like artificial intelligence in a way. Is, uh, is that correct or? Correct. I mean, we are under the, this field is under the bigger umbrella of artificial intelligence and, and we are doing computer vision and machine learning in, in, in specific, but yes. It's under the umbrella of AI. Okay, tell me a little bit about how how the AI works within the uh, within the system of the process. Are you at liberty to or? Uh, uh... Well, AI um, is a is a is a is a concept that sometimes gets mistaken. So when we talk about AI, we're not talking about a system that is going by itself to um, harm the world or do something in the world. We're not talking about Terminators or any kind of these kind, you know, yeah, sure. weird scenarios. We're talking about a, 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 an algorithm. Um, um, I don't know if system is the correct word to use, but I wouldn't like to use it. Um, um, something that we put together and we teach it how to understand things and, 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 for example, you can use it for self-driving cars because it's able to understand in the data the nearby cars, the pedestrians, the hazards, the risks, and all these things. And it's able to make a decision about, the, given the data it has seen, about the action that it should take next. The action doesn't have to be a physical action. It can be just that these points belong to a wall, but it could also be a physical if we're talking about robots. Yeah. I, I, um, to get the correct description of artificial intelligence um, I've sourced the uh, uh, the uh, Wikipedia here and it's a artificial intelligence is intelligence exhibited by machines in computer science an ideal intelligent machine is a flexible rational agent that perceives its environment and takes actions that maximize its chance of success at some goal correct Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. Essentially, we, we're teaching the perception part, and given that perception, and given what it understands from the data it has seen, it needs to make an action that exactly will maximize uh, 
the, the, the success. Exactly. It will give you a high probability that, yes, this is the correct action to take. So the perceives, it's, is, is it still, it sounds like there is a, a thought element into it, is that? In a simplified way. In a simplified way. <laughs> it, especially if it can take action. Um, um, you and I discussed before of this, it, it actually, I think, is it kind of thinking for itself, although you helped it to think? Yeah. I, I mean, it's not going to think outside of the box. It will think what it has been taught to do, and it won't go further than that. But sure, in a simplified way, you could say that it thinks and takes makes a decision based on that. Okay. Now, it, tell me a little bit about your um, uh, the uh, sailors uh, program at Stanford and uh, some of your work there, and how uh, how uh, well it's uh, it's going. Well, um, Sailors is uh, an initiative that started in 2015, and it's a summer outreach program um, from the uh, Stanford AI Lab um, uh, with the help of the uh, pre-collegiate summer studies Mm -hmm. of Stanford. Um, uh, It um, started uh, from the three main directors of the program of Sailors, which is Olga Rusakovsky, Faye Faye which is a professor in the AI Lab, and um, Rick Sommer from the pre-collegiate studies. Uh, and um, it's an effort from all the AI lab professors, uh, PhD students that come together in order to create this program. And what this program is about is, as I said, an outreach program that is trying to target underrepresented minorities um, and, and high school students and introduce them into the field of AI. So um, the hypothesis of this program is that... Um, there are well it's a fact actually um, that in the tech industry uh, or in academia uh, there is a certain type of, of person you would find <clears throat> and there are a lot of underrepresented minorities being um, the gender or being some ethnicity groups um, there is also the other part that we are thinking that why this is happening might be related from the fact that people don't necessarily know um, the humanistic aspect of AI and how AI could come and help the world and a lot of these underrepresented minorities might have that in mind so when they make a decision about the career they might not um, you know follow the AI field just because they think they can't have an impact on the world so we're trying to bridge these things together we're trying to have high school students that belong to these underrepresented minority groups and and introduce them to AI and especially the humanistic aspect so we have like projects um, about disaster relief with like Twitter harnessing like the Twitter texts or um, we have computer vision for safer hospitals, self-driving cars, um, understanding DNA sequences for cancer and things like that. So they can see that they could have AI as a passion and they could make a real change in the world. How's the response been? Um, it actually has been very yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we're you know it's uh, we're very proud. We're going like to the third year, and um, it's going to be a resident- residential program this year, and we're very happy about it. And um, what is the good part is we are actually seeing that sailors is making a change. We have a very nice evaluation method um, for for this um, program uh, where we. Um, try to understand um, how the girls perceive AI, uh, their su- the support the support they can get, um, what is if AI has a humanistic aspect or not before and after the program. We try to measure that, and we have found that actually their responses to this evaluation form change after the program, and that means and. 
positively towards what we are actually targeting. And, and that means that we can make a change. If we, if we give the appropriate information to people, we can influence them to, to make the AI field more diverse. How, how, what are the ages? Um, we're talking about high school students, um, I think rising, rising 10th graders. 10th grade? Okay. And is there a continuation? I know you mentioned the residence. Is that uh, taking place next year or the following year? Correct, in 2017 okay. and hopefully for many years after that. Yeah. So you have support for this as well within the, um, the school? or? Uh... Um, so we have a lot of support through both the school and the industry. Um, we do have, as I said, all these people coming together, like professors with lectures, PhD students with tutorials and the research projects. But also we have the financial support from, from the industry, yeah. um, which is very important because otherwise until this is, we, would, we would not be able to, to make it without their financial support. Yeah. How, how is your, uh, you also a practicing architect, how is that segued into your, uh, your project? <laughs> well, I think that it gave me, I, 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 like, I want to believe at least, that uh, it gave me a unique perspective about the problem. And I think that being able to understand space, but also being able to talk the CS language to a certain extent, uh, I was able to bring these two things together uh, and be able to provide a unique perspective. And, and, and I think that's an important part, uh, because we are talking about a very specific task for a built environment and how we can use AI, or specifically machine learning and computer vision, to address that task. Yeah, speaking of um, the CS um, uh, facet of it, how, how well has it worked into, or is it a major component of, the, uh, of your research? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess the inspiration comes from the uh, construction industry uh, and the architectural industry, let's say like that. And then from the CS, I can get all the necessary background and tools and, and methods to address this problem in the technical way. So I guess the problem definition comes from the construction industry and then the, the way I can address it comes mostly from the CS in combination with the construction industry problems. Okay, do you, do you work with many uh, people in the CS that uh, are interested in the building industry as well, or are they kind of a separate, separate uh, operate in their own silos? Um, no, I would say that um, this understanding of our build environment in point cloud data um, is actually under the you know, the larger umbrella of semantic understanding of like either images or depth data, which is the point cloud data, um, of getting this kind of holistic or comprehensive understanding of spaces. And it can actually, we can actually use this understanding to many more applications that you would imagine. So it's not only something that is specific to the construction industry, it's something that you could use for the virtual reality field, for the augmented reality field, for robotics and navigation in indoor space. Because, for example, if you had an AR application that would project something on a wall, that you need to know where the wall is. I mean, the machine needs to know where the wall is in order to project that. Yeah. So, so you can see that this kind of semantic understanding, um, actually, and understanding the relationships between elements in the data, is actually more broad. So being broad, it sounds like somewhat of a gateway? 
Yeah, sure. Um, it's a gateway to many other fields, and, and I, I truly believe it can it can make a lot of difference in in our everyday lives. Yeah, any other industries will will um, uh, go off topic just for for a moment. Any other interest industries that you've seen that um, this can be applicable in? Um, as I said, yeah, I mean, the virtual reality and augmented reality domains, for sure, uh, and definitely robotics and anything that would have to do from navigation or kind of interaction into with the environment. So, so what computer vision and this understanding does is the perception part of what's going around them. And then based on that perception, what they perceive, they will have to take an action. So that action is... Uh, is going to measure it in real time as well? Can that be done? Yeah, of course. Oh, perfect. Uh, what is the, what's the, uh, I'm going to touch back on the reluctancy of the industry, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's, it's being uh, positively received. Um, is there a point where you, you can see that um, virtually every architect, engineer, builder actually has uh, this program in, uh, as a part of their uh, in their toolbox, so to speak? Uh, well, I hope that very soon this will happen. I, I really I really hope that. And, and, and I think it's actually feasible. Um, definitely, um, you know, our work is, I mean, it seems it's in the right direction. Um, so um, I guess um, it's about getting a product out there in the market that uh, will work for the market needs. But, uh, but I think that it's, it's something that is feasible in the next couple of years. Yeah. Or have there been any uh, major or small setbacks that you're at liberty to, to say? Um, I mean, uh, doing research, because that is what we're doing over here, um, is about trial and error. Um, you mm-hmm. will start with something. You will see if it works or not for your data. You will have to, you know, um, revi- revise things, update things, uh, and go from there. It's one step at a time. You need to have a bigger vision, but of course, um, you can't say out, of, you know, from the very first moment what will actually work or not. Yeah. How is the uh, the machine learning uh, analysis of data? Uh, how is that working? with this this, uh, this whole process? Is it the main process? or? Um... Well, I guess machine learning is, how, is about, as I said, the algorithm, and is about, as it said, it's machine learning, how the machine will learn um, to, to perform okay. that task, mm-hmm. and be able to, to detect into this point cloud environment all the elements you are looking for. Yeah. Is there a... Uh, how have you... Uh, remembered uh, with your with your studies the importance of uh, getting not just the research but the potential marketplace to understand what it is that you're doing and how you can do it sorry can you repeat the question <laughs> <laughs> how is it that the ind- uh, the industry being positive with its positive response, will they know when this reaches at least a kind of a um, uh, mainstream? Is there a point that you see it ever happening or becoming a mainstream? Um, well, um, that's a, a, a great question. Um, I don't know if I have necessarily the answer for it. Um, 
being um, becoming mainstream, I think it will take a few more years uh, for everyone to um, be able to introduce that in their pipelines. And um, because it doesn't come on its own, uh, in order to get these point clouds, you need to be able to scan your environment, be that any kind of depth sensor you want, like Kinect style or, or a laser scanner, so you wouldn't have access to such kind of equipment uh, or hire someone that could do it for you, and then you would need to process this point cloud, and you would need to use something that is mature enough to fit your needs. So I guess there are definitely a couple of steps that need to be taken in order to reach this kind of mainstream, this this point in our lives that we can say, how did, were we able to live without that before? Uh, but we are You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM, Stanford. We're talking today with Iro Armini, architect and Stanford PhD student. Do you listen to music while working, or it's so focused that uh, you have to just pay attention to what it is that you're doing at the moment and anything else may be a distraction? Uh, Well, both of these things happen. I do listen to music, and there are also points that you just need to really focus on what you're doing, and, and you can't have this even um, background of music can actually distract you from what's happening. Um, I guess the best time to listen to music could be uh, while you were doing some sort of coding. Um, I, yeah, you, you know, you've seen the movies how this kind of coder is like in front yeah. of the screen listening to like <laughs> some like high tech music or something. <laughs> You have snacks with you as well? Uh, always. Always, <laughs> you yeah. You need to, get, to be energized. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, do you have a, a particular time uh, of the day that you, you find that uh, this work, you, you do work best? Is it the morning, is it the afternoon, or whatever it calls on? Um, I guess that, that there is a pattern that even if I want it or not gets kind of you know, it becomes kind of a habit and you see this pattern again and again. So in the morning, you actually, I actually spend more time on emails because you see all these kind of emails that you have to respond. And I'm just, I can't just say I'll do it later in the day. I just have to do it at the morning when I see them. Otherwise, it's going to be in my head the whole day. And then um, I, I go into more uh, work-related stuff, uh, like about research, about doing something um, that requires more thought process. And then as the day passes and I become more tired, I go to things that require less supervision from myself to do it. Oh. Where do you find any sort of, uh, are there any periodicals or magazines or even intelligent TV shows that uh, talk about artificial intelligence that you regularly uh, look into to provide either some insight or uh, some method, better methodology that can be applied? Um, I guess the biggest I mean, source of information is the Internet, uh, meaning that depending on what you're doing, um, you would have to do this kind of literature review. So you would have to see what other people have done in the field, understand the limitations of the field, get a sense of what has been done. Um, um, of course, um, there are a lot of other sources that you can get information from, from the courses, from papers that other people might suggest. We have reading groups where we, we read recent papers, we understand the methods they're using, why they're using that. And these are all sources of information that, that you get and, and can help you in your research. Do you source them regularly? Yeah, um, some more than others. Um, and for example, um, there exist... Um, 
what is called archive, where it's like a platform where everyone um, submits their latest papers without needing a conference venue for it. Mm -hmm. And um, you can subscribe to them and receive daily emails about the latest papers of the field that is in, of interest to you. So I receive daily emails about machine learning or computer vision related papers, and I can just skip through them and see if it's anything of interest to me or not, something that I'd like to read. Yeah, you know, we, we of course live in a very uh, seismically active um, area. Uh, how will this help, if not, at least get, get a greater understanding of um, potential damage um, to our structures? Yeah, that, that's, a, a, that's a very good point. And um, actually, having um, this understanding of point clouds, you can automatically um, create the building information model of of that space depicted in the point cloud. And we all know how this kind of building information model can be plugged in into structural um, uh, assessing um, software or energy performance assessing software and all these others, uh, other software that can be used in order to give you an understanding of what's going, what's going good or wrong with your with your building. And I think that's a, that's a great point towards sustainability. Yeah. The, uh, the what I... Uh, shocked with is that you're aware the fatalities are 12 per day currently in the United States in the building industry. We would, um, your research also help uh, the insurance industries to mitigate their own um, losses. I guess, yes. I mean, and more important, rather than the, the insurance industries, are the people themselves, <laughs> correct? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Uh, I know it was an issue, so I brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I should say that uh, we are actually working towards that, and we, we are extending our work um, to, to towards the... Uh, with an extra dimension, which is that of time. So until now, we have been able to understand the semantics uh, of uh, space as it's depicted at that specific time in that specific point clouds. But we want to extend that throughout time. So you would go and grab this kind of collect these laser scans throughout um, the life cycle of your building, and that means you have this kind of timeline from construction to demolition. And you have all this data that you could use and you could enable this construction progress monitoring, this safety, this facility management, this whatever you want. How, how about, that being said, how about like historical buildings or, or, or monuments? Is uh, It would seem to be a natural fit. Well, it fits every building, of course, but in particular some of our... Uh, Historical. Yeah, and uh, and I'm very interested, definitely, in the preservation of our cultural heritage. I'm an architect that grew up in a very historical town, um, so so I'm definitely interested in, into that. And it's something that I'm planning to pursue in the future. Um, historical monuments, due to the intricate architectural details that they have, uh, they need a special treatment uh, in terms of the algorithms that you will use and of the data that you can acquire. Um, so definitely, it's something that I would like to extend my method to work on. Yeah, it, will it be ever something sort of a, an off-the-shelf tool for those in the industry? Is it, is it uh, I hate to make it sound that mainstream uh, so quickly, but uh, is there a possibility? It is, yes, it is a possibility. Um, but, but I guess uh, I don't think that can be one software that can work for everything. I guess it will have different variations if you're talking about historical buildings or, or other type of structures. Uh, but it, it, this can definitely be a reality and it can happen. And how about, speaking of reality, how about virtual reality? Well... <laughs> With, in, 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 in this 
Well, virtual reality um, is definitely a very good um, platform that you could use for so many things, um, being able to experience other other um, places or other situations. Um, and uh, a way to have this better virtual environment and or either like being a game engine or anything else you would like to have, um, you could, and if let's say you wanted to be in your home, um, it would be nice to have this kind of point clouds and be able to move into space by having an understanding of the elements around you. Yeah. How, how, how else does this work with other existing CAD software? Yeah, I mean, you can uh, create an output that can be plugged in into um, other um, CAD models, uh, CAD software. Um, there are definitely open formats that you could use for that, for sure. Is it... Uh Obviously, will it be updatable, or is it work with existing um, CAD programs? Um, I, I guess it can be used directly with existing CAD programs. Yeah. Uh, the participating arch architects have you have you outside of those those you're doing research with have how how do you discuss this with anyone who's not in your field yeah well you know there's always this problem of trying to explain you're like so much into your research that is sometimes hard to explain to other people in like clear terms that are that are not very researchy to to explain your work and and uh, i i guess uh, i had the chance to interact with some of these people that are either more or less familiar with with uh, this field and I, this definitely helped me clarify my own thoughts and what my project is about what are the most important points into it that you need you know what is called like the elevator pitch like just like two minutes one minute be able to to convey your message and and you persuade them that what you're doing is actually interesting and can have an impact. Yeah, so in essence, you're you're learning more by teaching. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a discussion the other day. I was uh, scanning actually a room um, where there was an event going to take place. There were some people doing the sound checking, and they saw what I was doing, scanning around. They were interested, and we had a discussion about it. And it, it's nice to see that people can understand what we're doing and they're also getting excited about it and they found it very interesting. And I guess if they have kids, they can tell them, you know, these are cool things happening and maybe you should go to the AI field or do something related to that. Yeah, how do you feel the AI field is? I mean, now, now, now versus say even five years from now, do you think it's going to grow exponentially or do you think it's it may always be just kind of a niche... Uh, niche industry or a niche in, in interest? Well, we've, we're seeing that there are more and more people entering the field every every year. And we're also seeing that um, there are so many things around us that we don't necessarily know they're using artificial intelligence. Like, would you, you know, this Siri or any kind of other, like even, even when you search an image on, on Google, for example, um, it uses some sort of artificial intelligence behind it in order to give you, uh, let's say you want to see, see a cat. Um, well, it uses some kind of artificial intelligence to give you the images of the cat. And, and, and so there are a lot of things around us that we don't necessarily know they're using AI uh, or we haven't really thought about it, but they have become integral parts of our lives. So I guess this is the, the best thing, that this is such a seamless integration that we don't realize it. Yes. Any other examples that you've seen with uh, AI that uh, may be useful in uh, in your research as well 
what are your thoughts on the quote, um, design is about form, whereas art is about ideas? Uh, well, um, we, you know, being an architect, I'm always into that, you know, in-between state that there are some that are saying, like, architects are engineers, and there are others that say architects are artists. Um, I guess there is something in between. Um, definitely design is about the form and what you're going to create, but um, there is also an idea behind it that, that you get this form. It doesn't just, you know... It doesn't just appear by itself on a paper. There's an idea and a thought behind it. Um, so, so that's definitely. But then this idea has to become uh, a form that can be materialized uh, into a structure with its uh, structural integrity, with some materials that might have some other restrictions that would put on your form. So there are all these things that come together after this initial idea. Well, as an architect, what type of projects uh, were you working on? Um, I was um, mainly working on uh, renovations or um, refurbishments. I also worked um, in, a, in a museum that was actually a monument of um, uh, UNESCO. Um, it was a palace uh, back again in my hometown. Um, and uh, there we were uh, trying to create new exhibition wings. Um, and we were always having this issue of... Uh, um, having no documentation of our building and having to even f to paint the space to go around with the tape and measure and trying to find approximately how much is our space like in terms of its size and give that to you know the painter company and get an, an you know a very quick estimate about that and this was when um uh, in 2013 okay so that did that sounds like that that frustration helped uh, spark your Exactly. Okay. Exactly. There were like during 2012, 2013, there were a lot of sources that just pointed me that I really need to do something about it. Yeah. Does, are there, is there particular equipment that you need to scan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you have to use some kind of depth sensor. And there are different types, depending also on the accuracy and quality you want. Uh, we have, uh, there are like more, um, uh, what is, they're called structure sensors, um, such as Kinect, um, or other kind of them that um, capture the environment, but not in very great accuracy. But then we also have laser scanners, which can uh, go up to millimeter accuracy. Um, they, they, they are time-of-flight sensors, so they are kind of a different type of sensor. Um, and you can use any of them, depending on the final output that you want and how accurate you want it to be. Uh, and given that point cloud that you get out of these sensors, then it's where the semantic part starts, and you need to understand this point cloud. Yeah, so th is there a, uh, a lot of equipment that's needed to get these measurements or... Um I guess the, the latest systems just use um, uh, this kind of sensors, either on a tripod, and you can just, you know, move it scan location per scan location, or um, a backpack, or a handheld camera. I mean, it really depends on the size you want to scan and what you have available. Yeah. Do, you, uh, do people need to vacate a building when you... Uh... That, that's a good question. Um, actually, in order to get this data of your space, you would require the minimum movement of either people around or of the objects that exist in the space. Otherwise, your data might get corrupted. Um, so the best is if the immediate scanning area uh, has no people around it or someone who would interact with it and change it as the scanning process goes on.
so uh, each building would uh, they wouldn't have to leave and you know, the accuracy is how do you measure the accuracy of um, if there is a way to measure it or you'd come approximate well I guess there are ways to do it um, one of the easiest would be if you were just to measure the main, the main uh, size of your of your space and check if that's accurate or not. Uh, but there are definitely other metrics that you could use more more elaborate and more more scientific to find out the accuracy of the scanning. But m- most of the times, this accuracy comes with the, pro- the provider, the manufacturer. They give you the accuracy um, specs. Oh, good. So um, are there any buildings that you're considering or that you'd love to uh, uh, to work with other than uh, I know you like the historic and uh, maybe hospitals what 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 type of structures do you have a an idea that you you may go first when you feel like this is actually really ready to work um, I guess we will start with more um, commonly types of structures uh, with probably spaces that are more um, in the rectangular type and not others that might have a lot of curves or a lot of um, irregularities in their in their in their in their structure so I guess that would be the first point of departure and then once things work good in that ca- in these cases you could extend to more irregular this is The Modern Architect on KZSU 90.1 FM Stanford. Our guest today is Iro Armini, architect and Stanford PhD student. Yeah, and um, I'd like um, also to um, thank my uh, collaborators. We have been a very good project team until now, and we have been very excited about um, the impact that we can have and, you know, about uh, how the research and the industry has welcomed our, our project. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I'm working with uh, Martin Fisher from the Civil Engineering Department and the SciFi Lab. And we also, I'm also working with Silvio Savarese from the Computer Science Department. Uh, Computer Science Department, and um, in our in my latest project, I collaborated uh, with Ozen Center uh, and Amir Zamir. Nice, good. Thank you for thanking them. Without them, <laughs> well, yeah, we're not here. Be, exactly. <laughs> not either of us. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? I mean, I may be reaching with this, but what do you want to be remembered for when this project either gets to a point that you feel you've uh, arrived or it's to a, a, a place that you you're really happy and it matches your vision well I guess I don't necessarily want to be remembered for but I would like to have an impact on on the industry and be able to to first of all show them what is the potential and what you can do actually with AI, with machine learning, with computer vision in order to understand these point clouds and what is what is the power of the information hidden in these point clouds that we are now not really harnessing or using. And then as a next step, uh, I would really like to show how you can revolutionize and help in revolutionizing all these workflows that exist in the construction industry. Uh, and, and that would be my, my goal to build this kind of comprehensive understanding of our built environments, of being able to maybe change the, the ways we perceive ourselves, our environment, or, or how we design, because we would now have a very good um, um, idea of what we're doing well or not.
Yeah. What have you found to be the most effective way of, of presenting this project to not your not just your professors but to fellow students? And I know I t- we touched upon this on, on, on the, in layman's terms. What do you think is a what have you found to be effective way of, of presenting this until it's actually a real uh, functioning program? Um, well, first of all, as with every speaker, you have to understand your audience. If your audience is in the civil engineering or construction industry part, you need to speak to them in these terms. If it's in CS, you have to speak them in other terms. So every time you need to adjust your, your language and, and your words based on your audience. Um, and so in the CS environment, you would talk more about the technical uh, part, about the algorithm, about the learning, about the data you're using. In the construction industry or in the civil engineering industry, you would talk more about the workflows and how this information can affect them, what changes you can make, um, what, what kind of, of impact you can have. Yeah. Are there any other renowned or famous uh, projects that you've uh, worked on prior to this? Um. I don't. Well, you mentioned the <laughs> museum. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and that was was that was where it really first sparked you to say, "There's got to be a better way." That's true. That's okay. true. That everything started from there, and it was actually a very exciting period um, because you were able to do things that are um, also. Um, I spent a couple of years in Japan, and that um, museum was actually on Asian culture. Um, um, and so I, it was very close to my interest in terms of, of art. Uh, and so I had a great time working there, and I felt very passionate about um, creating a very nice environment to showcase these elements. We also, we also were working on um, uh, creating accessibility, um, facing all the accessibility issues that existed in you know, being in an old building and building um, um, ramps or, or other ways for people with that had some disabilities to be able to navigate inside this space and uh, interact with the art and understand the art. Yeah. So is sustainability a fairly large component of, uh, of this process to you? Or is it to just make, just make a more efficient and effective way of... Yeah, I, I think um, sustainability is a very broad term. And it can be um, divided into sustainability of our personal workflows um, as a profession or sustainability of our environment and our built spaces. Um, So I guess I'm targeting both. Um, And um, I I have a passion. I I would... Yeah. So sustainability. Um, How do you uh, relax from the stress of doing this? Is there, do uh, you meditate, do you, do you exercise? What do you do? Because this is pretty intense. Yeah, I guess our discussion right now is pretty relaxing. Oh. <laughs> we should do it more often. Okay. Uh, uh, but um, I guess exercising or taking some walks or, or hikes are definitely um, an important part. Um, also, being from an island, I really like being next to the sea as much as possible. So walks that happen next to the, you know, water element are very welcome to relax me. <laughs> yeah. What, what other known patrons are, um, are from Corfu other than uh, yourself now? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we have to start somewhere. <laughs> 
Is there other poets, uh, artists? Well, I know we, it's cool. it's... we have a, um, a big um, cultural history in the island. We are known a lot about uh, our passion for music, um, our passion for for the arts in general. So we do have a lot of poets. Uh, we have uh, a lot of people interested into music, a lot of people that sing very beautifully. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, my dad is. I'm not, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I think we're, we're considered very artistic as uh, people living in that island. So you're carrying on the tradition. In a sense, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm kind of like derailed a little bit from the artistic part, uh, but I am facilitating maybe the artistic part. I would, I would like absolutely. to consider it like that. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine, um, imagine the good that this is going to do. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure having you here today. It has been a pleasure for me too to be here. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Iro Armini, architect and Stanford PhD student. Iro's work includes architectural projects in the private and public sector. Her research generates 3D building models based on computer vision and machine learning analysis of data. Find her project website at buildingparser.stanford.edu. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, influencer, and civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. The producer is Michael Longoria, recording engineer Akshay Jaggi, assistant engineer McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. Production manager is Akshay, and the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diora. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Thank you for listening. This was an episode of The Modern Architect.